podcasting play nobody bill you know what the the uh among the many disadvantages of trying to do um a thrice weekly college football podcast <laughs> while also working on non-college football future stories is that sometimes you sacrifice your saturdays and i was taking notes on saturday on things i wanted to talk about on this show um just buried in these notes i just as i pulled up to go right before we went on i uh i, I had the words mike sanford massive win oh yeah that's what happens when you're changing planes a lot and you <laughs> go back uh, so yeah um not so much um also it, i could probably do a whole show as idiosyncratic as these notes are on what it was interesting to me at the various different hours because it was that kind of week the further we get away from um the further we get away from week three, the more I realize it wasn't that weird. So I don't know if we have, I guess we probably oversold it, but nonetheless, there were well, some, I guess a couple programs are pivoting. That's about as far as I can sell yeah, it. And this is pretty fast. I need to dive into this. I shouldn't say anything yet because I haven't dived into it. It's all anecdotal right now, but I was just talking to Jason Kirk, our editor, and I want to look into something. I've, I've noticed myself saying the, thing, the same thing pretty frequently over the first three weeks, which is some variation of, well, yeah, but the post-game win expectancy was really low. Yeah. Um, like, of course, the Memphis Navy thing where it was like 98% Memphis. And they lost uh, the Auburn LSU game this week. I got to talk to a, a NOLA.com reporter um, about why LSU beat Auburn and moved down at S&P Plus. And the reason was, uh, the, the, the very short reason was post-game win expectancy for Auburn in that game was 83%. Um, we had quite a few... We've had quite a few impactful games of that nature. Michigan-Notre Dame. Michigan was something like 50... Let's see with 58% for uh, win expectancy and they lost like a bunch of very impactful games have seemingly pivoted on turnovers and particularly strange little statistical oddity things. Um, and so I want to kind of lay it out and see if that's actually just, if it's just that I've noticed those games more or if there have been more than normal and we're probably do some regression to the mean at some point, but a lot of those games, um, but what does that mean? Important games. I mean, what, if it means anything, is uh, is it a trend? Is it something? Is it aberration? But well, I mean, it could, always, it could is, always be a data error, but I don't think so. Like I've, every time I see a weird one, I check and make sure that um, that uh, you know that that everything is calculated correctly and it looks all right to me. But no, I mean, I, I would say I don't see how it could be a trend. Like funky bounces playing big roles has always been a part of football, but it's, it's also baked into those win probability numbers. So these are particularly funky. Oh, Akron uh, Northwestern was another one. Akron upsets Northwestern beats his first big 10 opponent in like 120 years. and moves down in the rankings because post game win expectancy was, it was 79% for Northwestern. It, and when I say, because I don't mean S and P plus doesn't directly pull from post game win expectancy. It's just another way of looking at it. Um, and, and it's looking at the same factors that S and P plus so the, does. The numbers think that a lot of teams that should win and, and really won the game in so many different ways are losing. Is, right. that, is that, yeah. Yeah. And so um, that, all, again, that always happens. If your post game win expectancy is 98%, that means you only win 98% of the time and 2% you don't. Um, right. But it's still a lot of, a lot of interesting results have been not really backed up by the stats. And so that's, that's created a very funky environment right now. So in essence, S and P plus is saying if Auburn and LSU play X amount of times, then Auburn is going to win the majority. If we were to suspend the 2018 college football season and then no one is advocating for this and have Auburn and LSU punch each other in the mouth five or six more times, 
Auburn is going to win the series. Right. That's that's the way I I often try to explain it. It's like best of seven. This you know this team still wins in five or six, but they lost this one. And 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 in those best of seven situations, we all understand you lost game one, but that doesn't mean you're the worst team in football. It's the only sample we get, so we're always like, well, they must be better. This podcast ain't played nobody. It's a college football marriage of numbers and words. Uh, that's the robot Bill Connolly. He invented this unruly, angry mathematical beast known as the S&P Plus analytics system. Uh, he's written multiple books. You can find them on the Amazons, Dotscoms, or, uh, you know, brick and mortar stores. You still got one of those. My name is Stephen Godfrey. You can find me at 38Godfrey. I write uh, long and flowery reporting type word things. Occasionally I'm on YouTube. Um, Bill, yep. this is going to be the cleanup roundup for week three before we put it to bed. <laughs> Um, we've got some questions. We've got a couple segments. Uh, we've got a purchase segment on those, on everybody's favorite team to talk about Texas state. Yeah. God bless the listenership of this program because we introduced the concept of being off the beaten path. <laughs> they forge out into the brush, uh, scythe in hand to form entirely entirely new avenues by which we can talk about this sport. So good on them. Um, so uh, cleaning up real fast. I have, uh, again, and these are just handwritten notes I had jotted down. Um, what happened to Maryland? Question mark. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, who would you hire tomorrow? Seth Luttrell or Neil Brown? And then I just wrote FSU, OMG, WTF. Um, <laughs> so we don't, you can pick from one of those. How, how would you like to proceed from what I scrawled out on a Southwest flight? Um, well, we can start with Maryland just because I got an email from my dad. My parents lived in um, Silver Spring outside College Park for a few years. Um, and so he still sort of keeps tabs on Maryland. Uh, and he saw the result. He's like, did their quarterback start getting hurt again? It's like, I, I don't think so. I know all their like half their offensive line is hurt. Um, but that was still, that, that was a damn strange uh, result to wake up to, or, uh, well, not wake up to, but, um, you know, knowing what we saw from Temple the first couple of weeks of the year. Uh, and by the way, that was not a statistical fluke post game win expectancy for Temple hundred percent. So that was just pure on butt whooping right there. Uh, and, Can I add, and good for Temple. We're, so we're in a, we're in a wonderful, wonderful place already for transitive wins. Yeah, no, it's all it's all you can you were already to the point where like slippery rock is transitively better than like Michigan, I think. Hell yes, because so what you've got the problem is everyone wants to make the joke that Villanova's better than Texas. Villanova's a very good FCS yeah. team. Um I think the one that's a little bit more jarring for people is that Buffalo is better than Texas through the property of transitive wins now. And if you haven't been paying attention, Buffalo beat Temple, Temple beat Maryland, Maryland beat Texas. Now if the Longhorns are able to go on an upset TCU or Oklahoma State or even OU, then it gets really, really, really super <laughs> fun. I can't wait. Um, but Buffalo, for the transitive property to work cro- uh, properly, Buffalo also has to lose. And right now, Buffalo is 3-0, and having just scored a strangely big conference win by beating Eastern Michigan the other day in a pretty fun game. They are 64th in S&P Plus. They are 3-0 thir- uh, and so far. They've got Rutgers coming up on deck. Um, they are in quite good shape as a, as a team. So that one, that one, Villanova, I mean, Villanova is, is obviously a good FCS team, but people shouldn't be surprised about Buffalo because Buffalo is actually pretty solid. I'm off working on something that is only partially college football related and, and really has no, no bearing on the current season. Um, and so I've been away from the consumption cycle, but I did, I really liked, um, I think it was Richard and maybe Jason co-authored a post on SB nation about, um, 
who's you know uh, ranking the panic of the first year head coaches, and it was all tongue in cheek because everyone was tied for seventeen. Uh, Buffalo's a nice lesson, right? Buffalo yeah. uh, is a historically horrific program. Right? <laughs> we know them. We know them for Turner Gill and for Cleo Mack, who's like the best defensive player in the NFL right now. Um, but how many years ago did they hire Lance Leipold? Uh, this is his fourth year, I believe. Let me make sure about that. So Lance Leipold was hired. He was a a god, right? Yes. In the in the lower circuits, um, he built a massive dynasty and he finally said hey you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna go up and i'm gonna take it to fbs his dynasty was was it wisconsin whitewater yes the uh yes. wisconsin whitewater he was and dynasty doesn't even cover it in in eight years uh lipo was 109 and six and Jesus. Th- three of those six losses came in one season if you think north dakota state is dominant this is just this is another level so he comes up to buffalo a really really bad team um and then nothing really happens yeah it, 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 because guess what? Buffalo's a bad team. Yeah, so, and, and it's just different. Yeah, recruiting's different. Uh, yes. Your strengths and weaknesses are different. It's just yes. a different game. Yes. So what does Buffalo have to do with you? Uh, and we'll get back to Maryland and Temple in a second. <laughs> Here's what Buffalo has to do with you. If you're listening and you are pissed off, because I have Florida fans in my mentions. I have Florida State fans in my mentions. I have UCLA fans going bonkers in my mentions. I have... Uh, what's the other one right now that everyone's super mad about? Well, Auburn just mad. We'll get to that in a second. This doesn't really apply here. Arkansas fans talking about how this is the most embarrassed they've ever been. This is the most embarrassed you've ever been, Arkansas? <laughs> this? That's revisionist history. Everybody needs to calm down. Everybody needs to chill out. Okay? Here's zero, man. Here's zero. Everyone in the situation that I just listed, you are in this situation for a reason. <laughs> and none of the coaches that are currently at your program are the reason why you're in this situation to begin with. Yes, Florida State's bowl streak might, might end this year. Honestly, it might. Um, Florida is probably not the second best team in the, in the division this year. Kentucky might actually be. We don't know. Hey, also, FYI, Vandy's good. So, and Missouri's undefeated. Don't stop at Vandy. Are they in the SEC? Mm. Oh, um, so these all none nothing that put you in this situation has changed on as we record this in oh, middle September. Everybody could calm down. The Arkansas <laughs> thing is the one that kind of I think is hitting the nerve the rawest right now because of the way they lost to UNT. Um, obviously, the amazing you know fake fair catch and all that it dominated <laughs> dominated the conversation as it should. Uh, our boy Alex Kirshner had a fantastic. My God, game. and it exploded. Well, it exploded because Alex put the Johnny Hustle in and had that bad boy done. Yeah. Uh, basically, as soon as people turned around and said, "Hey, what the hell happened this week?" So uh, good on him. The uh, the situation in Arkansas. We talked about this this summer. Why do I have to repeat myself, Bill? <laughs> they we said they were going to be possibly horrifically bad and i still believe that you're going to see pieces of a of a good future to come by the time they get to the end of the season now yeah. i don't think they're beating missouri now which i said something like they would win they you know they would start to crest upwards and win right. games like i don't think in the, towards the end of the season they're going to be any kind of match for mississippi state and uh missouri and those teams but guys <laughs> yeah we told you this was going to happen yeah i mean 
this is worse than expected. I will say that. Like I expected them. I think, I, so? I think the, the way I was spelling things out, I, th- I, I think the way I put it was that they, they could lose to either Colorado state or North Texas and then beat like a Mississippi state or Missouri late in the year. Um, no, they not only lost to both Colorado state and North Texas, but it turns out Colorado state is bad. Um, yeah. That's and true. they still lost to Colorado State. And then they didn't lose to North Texas. They got they lost by 27 to North Texas. So this is this is bad. And um you No, know, I will say this. North Texas is cresting. Yes, North Texas is 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 probably if, if Colorado State's worse than expected, it should be mentioned that North Texas might be better. Um and there was a fluky punt return in in, in there. Like so it really was probably more like a 17 point loss or something instead of 27. But um but it was still a a a, a, an easy definitive loss to North Texas. And when you are, when you push out an old coach and another one comes in, you want to see proof of concept as quickly as humanly possible, even though you just don't sometimes. And, and so I understand why Arkansas fans are freaking out. It's just, it's our job to go in and basically say, Hey, uh, stop freaking out. Chad Morris is not a moron. Chad Morris is the exact same coach that was putting together the bones of what you still see on the field at Clemson right now. Okay. Um, he was still the guy that came in and helped turn SMU into functional relevance for a hot minute, which was, I mean, they were awful. And it, the first year at SMU took them a while. Uh, they yes. were, they were quite yes. bad that first year. Uh, no, nothing about Chad. There, there's, this should be no referendum on Chad Morris. Stop it. We can have a referendum on Chad Morris in 2020. I have no affinity or, or, um, consideration for or against Chad Morris. I'm just telling you y'all got to stop. Everybody got to calm down. Well, I'm biased for him because he's admitted he likes math, so I'm I'm definitely rooting for him. But <laughs> um, he's a year. Look, all these year one guys, you got to calm down. I mean, the joke at the end of the SB Nation post that I referenced earlier was that hey, Kevin Sumlin in Arizona looked especially befuddlingly bad. Mm. That's the only one where it might be outside the conversation, right? Like fundamentals. Uh, th- there are fundamental reasons outside of, Hey, they don't look very good on the field. Well, the biggest uh, thing is that they had a Heisman contender, right? And they're not. And, and, and I mean, making you know, the Heisman contender play the football good. That's right. Probably, I mean, and, and obviously we've, there. we've talked about this before. We've talked about this recently, but I mean, there, there, there were red flags immediately for someone just from the fact that, Oh, he, he hired that offensive coordinator and Oh, he hired that defensive coordinator. Hmm. And um, so, yeah, like there, that one, I think you could reasonably would be worried about the rest is just, you, you never know when, when you're going to need is year zero. And when you, Oh, well, I guess sometimes, you know, when you're going to need a year zero, but not always. I think Kevin Sullivan needed to take some time off and he didn't. And I get it, right. but he yeah. didn't. Um, so everyone else needs to calm down. To get back to the game that, that spurned all this off because we started talking about transitives and that yes. got me to Buffalo and then that got me to, to everybody needing to calm down. Because by the way, now Buffalo, warrior poets of the Mac. <laughs> you just got to calm down and let your coaches rebuild. Um, it, it's not going to happen as fast as you think it should, even though you're a lifelong FSU or – you know, Florida fan, and you, you think you deserve a certain level of automatic, uh, uh, you know, relevancy. It's B- not Buffalo, happen. by the way, Buffalo uh, projected to finish 10 and 2, their remaining favorites in, in uh, eight of nine games. Uh, Look at that. Like, man, they are, they are rolling Play, right now. Playoff pick. Uh, um, so, Maryland. Maryland. <laughs> it's the first team that we get to look at and really kind of pick at. How you beat Texas? Now Texas has shown they beat them me last year too. Yeah, but, but Texas. I'm, I'm talking specifically interim situation. Matt Canada, that offense. Um, 
nothing about Texas says elite at all, but you beat Texas and then Temple solved your ass. Yeah. I mean, they had no yardage in this game. I'll have to pull it up, but at one point late in the third, or I'm sorry, late in the fourth, it was awful. Oh, by the way, I have another error from the Top 25 show the other night. So that's our I said something I swore to God I thought was true. I, I had not heard what you were saying. The TV broadcast told me. <laughs> what you were saying I had not heard, but I was going with it. I'm so pissed off. Yeah, I know. You need to just start calling me out. Well, no, I mean, I didn't know to call you out because I didn't know it was wrong. All right, well, we'll do that in a second. Hang on. Um, okay, so I'm looking through because I'm just making notes on the yardage because it look Temple I didn't think was going. I mean, we, we talked about Temple competing in the um, in the American for the division at least and thinking, hey, it's you know kind of a salty, it's kind of a salty option if you want to pick an upstart. Yeah, this uh, is it. Really, is an incredible like just looking at their drive chart: three and out, three and out, four and out, three and out, three and out, six and out. Uh, they score via interception return. Uh, then they start the second half. Three and out, three and out. They actually move the ball, but turn the ball over on downs. They score on a punt return. <laughs> uh, and then they go 58 yards, throw a pick, 41 yards, throw a pick, uh, and that's ball game. So basically the three, they had three decent drives, and they all ended up in turnovers or turnovers on downs. With, so with nine minutes left in the game, they had 108 yards of offense. Oh. That was the one where I noticed. So just what happened? I mean, it really is, I mean, you know, using the Texas thing as kind of a jumping off point. Like sometimes you just, sometimes you, you I think you used the word solve a second ago. Sometimes you just know how to defend a team uh, or yeah. know how to play a team. And maybe that's part of it. Um, but this, this game I fixated on, Bill, because it is the beauty of the sport and is the reason why I don't let myself, as sick as we all get and frustrated as we all get about insert horrible thing here, um, the football part itself, <laughs> aside from the CTE, it makes, the it makes you go what? It, it, what aside from the CTE and the fact yeah, that players yeah, yeah. Are all, all the bad the stuff. Football part itself, Bill Temple was awful. Yeah, Temple was embarrassing for two weeks. Maryland beat Texas. Matt Canada, this this guy who has positioned himself as sort of the the unfairly ousted offensive coordinator at LSU and how stupid were they for doing that and da 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 and I'm going to and oh I've you know I happen to land in this situation where now I'm an interim head coach and he's obviously politicking for the job as any head coach would and so you're seeing that momentum build and then you go and play a winless temple team that that solves your ass on defense it's <laughs> it's it's wonderful unless you're a Maryland fan to watch these things happen in a 3 week arc yeah is and why we pay attention to the sport because you don't know. Right. And, and I mean, the one thing I can add from a stat perspective is they are the pure all or nothing team right now. They're 112th in, um, in success rate and 24th in, uh, explosiveness. So basically, I mean, they, they are three and out, three and out bomb touchdown, three and out, three and out bomb touchdown. And those types of teams can do things like score 45 points one week and 14 the next. I mean, that's that, that, that is innately volatile. So I'm sure part of that, 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 that played a role there. Uh, mm -hmm. but whatever you just said, 108 yards after 50 minutes. Um, it's awful. Um, okay. Uh, I want to, I, I kind of stumbled into this when I was doing radio this week in, in, um, in Shreveport, shout out to Ben Mintz. He's a listener. Um, I was thinking out loud as we were talking about BYU in Wisconsin, Jeff Grimes comes up from LSU. Um, how would you describe, we'll play an experiment here. How would you describe BYU's offense right now? 
Like if you were if you were to have to to put it in the <laughs> box. Um it, it made a lot of it made a lot of aesthetic sense watching LSU and BYU playing uh, sort of at the same time. The other okay, day. okay. So, so they're actually more they're like they're they're more efficient than LSU is right now. But yeah, they're just yeah. A, an efficiency offense so that want to yeah. punch you around a little bit. Okay, so let's say like um, let's say like plotting, um, yes. predictable, but also sort of if, I like a, I like power efficiency. Sounds okay. like you're trying to sell me a pickup truck in the late '90s. Okay, they, 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 um, yeah, they, they are very slow tempo. They don't come yeah. up, up a lot of negative plays. This is like a this is like a uh, deluxe package Dodge Ram I'm talking about here. <laughs> um, so here's my thought, and it sort of came to me as we were BSing around on the radio. Maybe this is what BYU should be running. Yeah, no, maybe, I, I, no maybe when you think about BYU, and this goes back to a couple a couple couple years ago when Stanford was really cresting with, with luck and they had elite quarter. And I'm not trying to compare Stanford and BYU, but what I'm saying is when that kind of offense has elite quarterback play, it, people notice in other circles, because I think deep down, a lot of coaches have like a hard on for, for running that, that right. stuff. I think deep down there's like a cultural that's, bias. That's real football right there. Exactly. Right. When you look at BYU and you look at the restrictions that they have and you look at the, um, advantages that they have and what i mean specifically is about like everyone on the offensive line is like 27 and they have two kids and they go to bed at eight o'clock i'm just, I'm just saying i'm just saying i'm not trying they're, to make they're I'm so really mad not, they're so no, mad I'm not, no i'm not i'm not trying to make lds jokes i've written multiple stories about byu i genuinely love them if someone wants to send me that root beer shirt and if you know what i'm talking about oh god yeah send me I, one too i want a root beer shirt so bad um because i don't even drink that much anymore uh Maybe this is what BYU should have been doing all along instead of instead of pining for the Ty Detmer era. I know that's heresy, but look, I mean, you go back and I don't want to say they out Wisconsin, Wisconsin, but like no, that's exactly what I said. But they kind of out Wisconsin, Wisconsin, and they did it in Camp Randall, and you're like, well, shit, that's a blueprint. Like yeah. that, that's something that hey, you know what? That'll travel with you. You can. And I mean. I, I don't know how much they really pined for Ty Detmer offense because I mean they I mean they had Taysom Hill running a pretty damn good offense a few years ago. Um, well, of course just, that's that's the that's the NFL's that's NFL quarterback Taysom Hill right there. They're just um, perpetually pissed off at every iteration of that offense under <laughs> under Bronco. So maybe it was just like screw it, we're going we're going power. No, and I mean that I the, what I wrote on Sunday about both that win and the LSU win is that you know both of the both of the head coaches in those situations instead of went, going out and making the, the offensive coordinator hire they should make or they they thought they should make they just hired the one they wanted to make and you know at the very like you know Steve, with Steven Springer at LSU I'm not going to pretend that's a high ceiling offense right now um, but it's just like. It, it's it, like you, you feel better in your own clothes, and like if you're if you're uh, Ed Orgeron with a with a Steve Mins, uh, Insminger offense, if you're BYU with this offense, like or Kalani Sataki, I should say, with this offense, um, you just kind of know how to maneuver. It, yeah. your, your upside might not be tremendous, but you know how to go about trying to win a game, and that does, uh, in the short term at least, kind of help. I think. Um. It just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, look, I, I, I kind of caved for Insminger during the whole situation uh, with Canada, and I kept saying, hey, it's not that bad, it's not that bad, uh, and without taking sides and saying, because I don't think it was Ed Orgeron was wrong or Matt Canada was wrong. I think it was just 
it was a bad fit from the start. And it was, it was sort of a cautionary tale against the Clemson model of like, go out and hire the superstar. Right. <laughs> funnel, funnel your money in the coordinator. You've got to do what your head coach is comfortable doing. Yeah. Like it, at the end of the day at Clemson, Dabo is comfortable with the, right. with the overall concept. And Ed, I think, never really got that way with, with Matt yep, Canada. So yeah. now, Insminger, never a bad choice. Funny thing about Insminger, didn't want the job. Never, you know, was actively telling Orgeron in 16, go out and find a, go out and find a coordinator. I wrote about this uh, last August where, you know, they, of course they thought they had Lane Kiffin before he went to FAU. Right. So none of that makes Steve Insminger, though, dumb or incapable of running the offense. And also, I think a lot of what they put in, I've said this before, in late 16, worked. It looked good. They yep. did some wide open stuff. It's still infinitely smarter than anything Les Miles allowed for his last two or three years, with the exception of the um, – uh, oh, man, I'm getting old. Uh, the year they played Georgia with the transfer quarterback from Georgia. Um, Mettenberger. Thank you, Zach Mettenberger. Other than the Zach Mettenberger year where they they finally looked like they wanted to attack downfield, I mean, they got they got more hesitant and more hesitant and more hesitant. Well, it's funny, though, is when I was describing um, – the way LSU played to beat Auburn, I was like, man, I'm describing a less miles team right now. Um, and I'm talking about a team that I think has a ceiling of like nine and three or something. I'm like, well, hell I'm describing the last few years of less miles. Like, what is this? This is good. And they're three and oh, they've beaten two, well, two teams that were top 10 at the time anyway. Um, and they're going to give themselves a chance to pull to more big wins later in the year. Um, but it really, I, I mean, I, th- that's where uh, when I see somebody, I've, it's been kind of going around the last few days, like we need to reassess Ed Orgeron. Like, yeah, probably because we have underestimated him, but we're still, I don't want to turn around and overestimate him because I still don't think that ceiling is where it should be. But I mean, hell, get back to less miles first and then figure out what to do from there. I just think that they, they know they can be a little bit more dynamic than they were at the end of the miles era, as long as they maintain the defense and, I mean, look, this isn't rocket science. They weren't vertical. They didn't they, – they relied a little too much on the old school option stuff. Like, I mean, any LSU fan can detail this. There was a lot of bad concepts inside of that offense when, when Miles was there. If you, threw, if you threw, I don't know, 35% of that out, you would automatically have a better football team. <laughs> it's not that complicated. It's the, that's really it. That, yeah. That's sort of the gist of the thing. So I guess I mean they, um, they were still going like nine and three every year with with Miles. So I don't want to. Well, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about my like. I have to again. Context is everything. This is a program that thinks it should be a national title contender, and they were not. And right. were, and I don't think yeah. they suddenly will be either. But I mean, no, I didn't say that either. Again, um, yeah, I yeah. Anyway, anyway, I don't want to. I don't. I feel, I feel like I've spent most of the week just you know you know taking a fire extinguisher to the lsu good time and i'm not going to do that anymore but i still i have my questions but at least like after last year uh, you know the middle of last year over the last like 12 months from like what two weeks from now basically um they, they they'll have at least look as good as they did under last miles after a really rickety start they've they're establishing themselves at least at that level and we'll see what happens after that there was always going to be a, again to go back to transitions there was always going to be a transition you would have had you would have had a situation almost exact exact exactly the same as as what Texas is dealing with with Herman, if you had had hired Herman. Everyone thought it was going to be this effortless transition because Ed was on the staff. 
it just was never going to be the case. And so, yeah, if they get up to a miles and milesy, miles milesian, milesian year, um, and everyone says, well, okay, well now you're back, you know, now you're back at zero in our eyes, go get a national championship. Well, like, Again, guys, you made a change. You fired less after a football game in September. Like, this is what's going to happen. So, um, uh, yeah, I screwed up. So, Jake Browning's not from Utah. But, uh, here's, Transition. Okay, here's my thing. I swear to God. One, I'm busy. Two, <laughs> after that hit in the game against Utah, he throws the interception. that way I talked about it on Sunday. He throws the interception in double coverage, but it was a really late kind of weird hit of roughing with targeting. They start talking about him. I swear to God, they started talking about him being from Utah. Maybe it was another player. I didn't check it. I mentioned it casually. Guess what, Bill? We have Washington fans that listen to the podcast. Good, good, <laughs> we good. Have a couple I know that I've seen before, but now yeah. we have more than one. So I don't even know anymore. Look, and meanwhile, I, I am again. One, if I'm good for one bad one a week, that you guys don't even know how successful that really is. Okay. I, I um, yeah, no, I mean that's, I, and I will say that's part of the format here. We go out of our way to talk about 130 schools, not like 14, uh, and therefore we're not going to have quite as good a grasp uh, over the facts as you would if you only talked about 14 schools. So there is that trade-off. Hell no. But yeah, no, I, I am the. What did I call myself on Sunday? The foremost, the internet's foremost, Jake Brown supporter and i didn't even know his hometown there you go um so bill um we're gonna do a segment uh a paid for segment then we're gonna do some ask papn yep. a little a little bit of the purchased a little bit of the uh, of the non-purchased variety then we're gonna get out of here before we come back and do the week four preview um okay so you can go to my twitter this is the easiest way to do it. It's it's strange because there's no like direct way to, to just plug the gofundme but if you go to my twitter um, there is a link on the pinned tweet for Kane Ivers Ostis. So Kane uh, worked for Temple. Uh, he's currently fighting leukemia. He was one of the third down money crew at the University of Florida. Um, if you listen to the show with some regularity, you already know this spiel. I'm sorry, but I have to give this spiel in order to uh, make sure that if you haven't listened before, you know what's going on. If you go there and you give, I think the floor was 25, maybe 30 bucks, you get your question automatically asked and answered on the air. If you spend $250, and I threw that number out arbitrarily because we're so busy right now that I was like, well, surely maybe one or two people might do this. <laughs> you generous bastards. Uh, we have a bunch. Uh, we have a bunch of segments, and I, and I really... I don't even know how to, to put into words how amazing that is. Um, so we're going to uh, continue to go through the segments. Um, I've been contacted by um, Kane's friends and, and friends of the family, um, and they can see y'all doing what you do in the GoFundMe. So every time you guys give, and just look, man, if you just want to give five bucks, that's awesome, whatever. Just hashtag it PAPN. Uh, if you want to ask the question, whatever, you um, – you hashtag at PAPN on the GoFundMe feed, but then also send me a receipt. My email is in my Twitter bio. Send me a receipt with your question. I will make sure that Bill answers your super nerdy questions um, and your super nerdy inquiries. For most of our paid segments, with the exception of the one that we're about to do, are like, I am paying for the privilege to pick apart Bill, which is fascinating. No one ever wants to call me on my shit, ever, right? No one ever has any issue with what I do or don't report or what feature I do and don't write. But people are willing to give money to charity, which is awesome. It's amazing. Great moral imperative, right? Just to, like, needle your numbers. How does that make you feel? Um, I mean, I feel like I needled my numbers plenty, but, you know, it's fine. 
Okay. All right. Well, that'll be there. There's a tease for later in the week. Um, Brian Gilbreth, he says, uh, Hey Steven, uh, look, by the way, this is like, this is how nice this dude is. He gave $250 and then he immediately apologized for hit for being a fan of, of his team. You don't need to do that. He said, I'm a Baylor fan and I know what that means. So I'll let you and Bill decide what you want to talk about. Um, I didn't make the donation to get a segment because I know that talking about Baylor from a football perspective is complicated for everyone. Uh, but you gave the 250 numbers a bar and I want to support someone who seems like a good dude. Thanks for all that you do. So I, I emailed him back and this was uh, almost two weeks ago. And I said, hey, we, you know, we can talk about Baylor. That's fine. It's no problem. Um, he asked, so he's got... Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, we dig through here. So his brother, Brian's brother, is a Texas State fan. So he said, hey, um, my brother's a big Texas State fan. That would be PAPN as hell. That's a weird program that seems like it had a chance when they moved up to the FBS with Coach Fran, and I thought Withers could be a good hire. But it seems like UTSA is a full step ahead of them. If, if, is Withers done if they don't win this year? Where do they go if they move on? And I'm guessing their AD is already thinking about a replacement that's in the cards. So it's actually good because we had so many uh, segments purchased that we had to schedule out. Guess who UTS – I just spoiled it. Texas State is playing UTSA this week, so we get to talk about this. Um, we can also uh, pepper in some Baylor. Uh, we both have met and interviewed and, and uh, have, you know, I think a, a nice feeling about Matt Rule. Obviously, Baylor is a complicated system and series of events, but um, you can still – I think we can still talk about Baylor as a football team. We oh, never said so. we wouldn't do that, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, Texas State. Bill, if you have absolutely no information on Texas State, which may be the majority of the people listening here right now, um, right now we're testing the theory that if you just find a program and mm -hmm. take it to the FBS and put it in a place where you have a lot of talent, that you're automatically going to get good. And that isn't necessarily the case, is it? Well, I mean, no. Like, I, I think when, when they moved up, to uh to fbs my first thought like i think that first preview i wrote was just basically like yeah this seems kind of right like if you were to if you were to have a startup a football program startup anywhere in the country uh having it at a pretty decent sized campus basically halfway between austin and san antonio uh seems kind of like a good idea like that that, that would be um like they, that step one is location 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 and you can't really it, it's really hard to overcome that if you don't have it, but it doesn't guarantee success, obviously, because then you need to support the program properly. Uh, you yes. need to still have a plan. You still have to make good hires, which I actually, I mean, that part seems funny too. Cause I mean, Dennis Francione, I thought was a fine hire. Like, I mean, if, if Larry Coker was able to kind of get things rolling at UTSA, why wouldn't Francione who had great success at TCU uh, and was basically the hottest name in coaching for about two years? Um, why wouldn't he be able to do the same? He just, he this was, was just, this was the Coker model at UTSA. Yeah, except, I mean, except they weren't a startup. UTSA was a startup and Texas State wasn't. They had a history, uh, not not an amazing history, but a history. They'd been to the playoffs a few well, times. Well, yeah, for the, yeah, I should, I should clarify. For the FBS, this was, this was the. Right, yeah, but yeah. they moved up and, and, you know, they have a natural recruiting base. So why couldn't they do better? And that's a fair question. Um, I know that I, I've talked to somebody on Texas State staff recently. Um, I mean, I know that when they walked in the door, it was one of those situations where you don't really notice it right away, but like, oh my God, you've got like, 58 scholarship players or, you know, something crazy. Um, where so they let's stop there because I want to ask you about whatsoever. this. Yeah. yeah I wanna, so uh, 
this exists somewhere in the PAPN archives, which you and I are way too afraid to wade through. Oh God, no. We talked about when we first started introducing concept of year zero, you specifically brought up un, unprovoked Everett Withers taking over Texas state. Yeah. If so <laughs> again, sense. since most of you listening have no concept of Texas state, this, this team in San Marcos and the Sun Belt, how bad was it when he came in? Cause well, what, yeah, from what yeah. I was told, it was one of the worst, like, a burnt to the cinder situation <laughs> in the FBS that didn't involve an NCAA investigation or something like Baylor. Well, and, and when I was saying that, I definitely didn't know about the scholarship situation, but it was just, it was tough. Like there was no recent history to call on. Uh, let's see when they, when Francione left, where, where are my numbers here? Come on, come on, come on. Um, pulling up spreadsheets on air. Uh, let's see. He left after 2015. So they're, their last, yeah, so it, with him in uh, FBS, they were 89th, which is not a bad start, uh, 110th, 90th, then 117th. Uh, they were 3-9, and nine, but they were a lucky 3-9. and nine. Um, It probably, like, the, you know, better, within an even slightly decent schedule, they wouldn't have been 3-9, and nine, I should say. Um, and then, like, you add that to the fact that, you know, I mean, they, I think they had a lot of outgoing talent. Uh, they apparently just didn't have a lot of bodies to, to work with to begin with. So that took a while to build back up and it's, yeah, it's just hard. Like he should be, it's year three now and Everett Withers has a history. I know, you know, his reputation kind of took a hit when James Mad when he left and James Madison, not only won the national title without him, but then like their coach dissed him with, you know, like after he had left. So I couldn't mm -hmm. believe the lack of like, you know, whatever he said, discipline or, or, you know, manliness or whatever it was he said that he had to instill in his team to, to start winning. Um, but he did win at James Madison. He did attract the talent that won the national title at James Madison, uh, whether he could finish it up or not. Um, and so I would, I, I would hope that by now we'd start to see progress. They were abysmal his first year. They were 128. They were two and 10 in 2016. Real, real bad team. No offense whatsoever. No defense whatsoever. Last year they went two and 10 again. Still a really bad offense, but they started showing some signs on defense. So there's that. Um, <sighs> right now, so far, I mean, three weeks into to, to 2018, so not much of a sample. But once again, they're 91st in, def in defense, which isn't good, but isn't terrible. They're 85th in special teams. They're still 129th in offense. They just have no – and that's a weird thing to say, having the, since they just scored 36 points on Texas Southern, scored 31 on South Alabama. Um, but that, that part, you know, that's a, an opponent-adjusted number, keep in mind. Uh, and they scored seven on Rutgers, which is like scoring negative 18 at this point. Um, but they're just, they're, they're, they've got an aggressive defense. They seem to be getting somewhere on that side of the ball. They just can't move the ball. Um, and whether that's an issue of depth, they have a sophomore quarterback this year. They had, it, it's one of those situations where they always seem like they're super young on offense. Um, maybe, maybe they're going to get somewhere. This Willie Jones dude, they've got a quarterback right now can run. He can't really throw, uh, but he can, you know, he's averaging six yards per carry. Um, maybe they're starting to find an identity there, but they just, it's so hard to get going. And, and maybe he made the wrong hires, maybe blah, 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 blah. Um, it's, it's hard to get a program like this up and running. This is um, potentially a situation where you need a Texas guy. I don't like to reinforce this concept. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't like to reinforce this concept because UTSA went out and got a New Orleans guy, <laughs> Frank Wilson, and it works. But Frank was well, and also, by the way, like, let me just pause and mention that it's not really working this year for UTSA. Well, no, they were going to be bad this year. 
Yeah, yeah, but they're real bad. They're 127th right now. They're real bad right now. Um, um, and I think they played three power five schools. So maybe now that they're going to – well, they're going to play Texas State this week. Then they play UTEP. So maybe they get going. But they've gotten drubbed a lot worse than I expected them to this year, even with that in mind. We got an anxiety bowl that we're talking about here, basically. We <laughs> sure. really do. We really do. Between two black head coaches, nonetheless. Um, which, I, I, yeah, I don't see both. I don't think Frank's going anywhere after this year. But no, I mean, no, I, no, I, no. I do think Withers is. Um, there will be a referendum because as they get into the meat of Sun Belt play, I don't yeah. really like their odds. Uh, to, no, to they've be got. Totally honest. They've got three chances where they're not a projected double-digit underdog right now. They're they're uh, you know they're uh, underdog, underdog by a point at UTSA, uh, by half a point against New Mexico State, which doesn't really seem like it's going to win a game this year. Um, and then they're about a touchdown underdog at Georgia State. You you've got Texas Southern. You beat them. I uh, didn't beat them by nearly as much as you should have, um, but whatever. You beat them. Now you've got basically three more decent win opportunities. How about you win all three? That would, that would be that would definitely save him. But ugh. so they're going to hire Kendall Browns as their head coach. Uh, let's not. Let's not. Let's not. Let's entirely. Not, let's I'm not. just saying it's entirely yeah. possible. Uh, um, yeah, the buzz on Kendall Browns is if they continue the, at the pace they are at Houston, he's going to get a head coaching job. Just heard a siren in the background saying, "Let's not talk about this." Sorry, no, that's that's fine. I'm in parts parts unknown right now. Um, it's uh, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Um, yeah. So broad view of a program like this, it's not plug and play. We've talked about this before on the show, but it's not plug and play. I do think in terms of funding exposure and branding, look, Texas, we don't talk about Texas the way we talk about Florida a lot. Well, we, we, we often assume Texas talent is just going to be at a Texas school in a way that we don't assume that Florida talent will be competed for and fought after by all of the programs that come in and try and pilfer that state during recruiting season. So the same could be said about Texas. Look, at, I mean, Ohio State has pulled kids out of Texas with, with um, regularity. A lot of schools have. So when that trickles down to a program like, like Texas State in San Marcos that most people don't even know exists, it's a branding issue. So they're going to have to find someone, I think, and I'm not writing off this program, or I'm not writing off this era forever, Withers, but it's damn near close, I'll be honest with you. Because as I look down the stretch, I just don't see – I mean, are they going to accept 4-8 and eight as proof of concept after what he's done? They, it's improvement. No. It's definitely I mean, improvement. I mean, that, that's a decision for the administration to make. Um, five and seven, I think I'd keep him, honestly. But, I mean, down the stretch this year, it, it could get pretty bloody pretty fast because, I mean, Georgia Southern, ULM, New Mexico State, App, Troy, Arkansas State, they're losing all those games. <laughs> you know, they're losing all those games. And so, that's tough. Um, all right, Baylor for a second. Yep. Baylor for a second. Yes. Um, year point seven five. <laughs> yeah. All right. how, how, have you, how have you contextualized Baylor this year? They're fine. Um, they're they're currently sixty eight. They um, you know they they whooped up on Abilene Christian. They they beat UTSA not as badly as Kansas State or Arizona State did, but they beat them and they won at the Alamo Dome. Um, very comfortable victories, both of them. So it's all fine. It's um, all fine. The Duke game was disappointing. I will say that um, they well, I mean, they just Duke came in like you know quarterbacks hurt. Uh, everybody was like, well, that, they're doomed. And then Duke and Duke just jumps on them. I think I, I'm, I'm pulling up the box score. Like they, mm-hmm. um, do, uh, Baylor battled back, but it was like, it was over immediately. Uh, let's see here. 
do, do, do. How wrong am I about having just said that? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was seven nothing midway through the first quarter. Then they score. Let's see, three three touchdowns in six minutes in the second quarter. Suddenly they're up twenty three nothing at halftime, mm-hmm. uh, and then and then Baylor you know wins the second half. But they were it was over then, and that was that was a surprise. It felt like this was a, a, an opportunity for them. And I mean, they Quentin Harris, the quarterback, goes twelve for thirty. Um, like they don't necessarily do anything all that wonderfully. They run the ball pretty well, um, but they it just they just started poorly, and it was a missed opportunity. And now they're uh, they got two quarterbacks. They're bouncing back and forth between. They uh, are just in a kind of a. Well, okay, let me just let me back up and say this: over the next three weeks, they get Kansas and Kansas State at home. That's what I was about to point out. So yeah. their next four games before their bye week: Kansas, Oklahoma, Kansas State, Texas. Go five hundred. Go 500, you're going to have four wins. Beat Kansas to Kansas State. Yeah, you're at four and two at that point. Yeah. And, I mean, I think from the start, this felt – Oh, well, yeah, I wasn't counting Texas. I was just um, stopping after Kansas State. But um, I thought I got him on math, everybody. Get to four and two. um, At that point, like, it gets kind of dicey at that point. Probably not going to win after that. But I mean, they could like that from an odds perspective, they should probably pull an upset against somebody. Um, most likely it would be either Iowa state or Texas tech, but we'll see. Um, but I think like the ceiling for this program, it felt like when I was writing the preview and I think I wrote it uh, at the end was just basically like they might be able to get to six and six this year. But um, let's remind everybody, here's how young they were last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlie Brewer leading quarterback right now. Anyway, so is, a, is a sophomore this year. Leading rusher this year is John Lovett, sophomore. Um, they've got a couple of juniors among their leading receivers uh, who were sophomores last year. Their defense right now, leading two tacklers are juniors. Uh, third leading tackler is a freshman. There is one senior among the top one, two, three, four, five, six, seven tacklers this year. Um, lots of sophomores, lots of juniors. They were crazy young last year. And so if you get to four and eight, five and seven, that's kind of disappointing because you thought, you know, maybe six and six was possible, especially playing Duke with um, Duke's maybe two best players hurt. Um, you'd really like to think you could you could uh, pull an upset in that scenario, and they didn't. And so maybe that means their ceiling's four and eight and five and seven. But again, they're crazy young. They're going to they're gonna bring almost everybody back next year. Um, this is, this is a long-term build and and Matt rules proven at two different jobs. Now he doesn't mind taking his time. Like he's going to lay a foundation here and, and temple, uh, he did such a nice job of starting to catch fire. He's starting to show signs in year two, really picked it up in year three, I believe. Um, maybe we see the same thing here. I have no idea what this program ceiling is. I'm talking 2020. Okay. Far removed from what happened with Bryles, the situation they start they start molding Baylor into something different. I have no idea where they where they cap out at. I really don't. I don't know how far he can take this program. Um, there were so many circumstances that worked in Baylor's favor mm-hmm. um, in terms of schematics and Bryles' reputation back then, and uh, like there, it was lightning in a bottle in so many ways. I don't know what you cap off at with Matt Rule, but it will be interesting to watch nonetheless because I do think it will be. Maybe literally one year, one win, one year, one win, one year, one win. Right. And if it is, you can't screw with that. Well, let's Don't put it this way. Screw with that. Let's put it this way. Uh, Art Bryles' first three years, four and eight, four and eight, seven and six. Yeah. 
And well, I mean, and he's, I, you starting, could he's starting from a worse place. Well, I was about to say, you could make it like from a talent perspective, he probably inherited more than Bryles did. Um, but from an everything else perspective, it was clearly, it was a very fragile situation that he walked into. I do think Baylor would pro- probably regret some of the deals that they made for the future games because you really want three winnable games at every just three winnable games, three winnable games and out of conference play. I, I mean, um, Duke at home, you'd like to think that's winnable. Let's put it that way. Well, it certainly was when they were, when they were thinking, I mean, when they, they were disappointed yeah. on Saturday. I'm not going to get around that, but, but yeah. 19, they have Stephen F. Austin, UTSA and rice. That's what okay. I'm talking about. There. Yeah. So there's, there's, a, go, that's... <laughs> there's a, there's a season in which, Hey, add those three and add three more. And then, then I think, I think bowl, uh, in a bowl in 2019, I think in a bowl in 2019 is remarkable because I don't you it's really rare I can't think of another time in the modern era where you've disassembled that talented a team that quickly. Right. No, again, crazy young, crazy young. I mean, they, from what they were, what they became and what they're building from, like it's it's pretty damn impressive. 2020 by the way, they have <laughs> incarnate word Louisiana Tech and Ole Miss. So, a 2020 game against Ole Miss. I think that's in Houston. Good job to everybody for scheduling that. Um, that's awful. Um, okay, moral of the story is uh, Baylor. We still don't know. Um, it's just very much a you put the construction sign up and you just kind of ignore it until they give you a hard date. Um, and now, if you're a, a fan of the program, uh, look for in- incremental growth in areas. Um, hang on through the end of uh, 2019. That's that's and, my advice. And Texas- rule my rule by the way at Temple two and ten the first year. Six yeah. and six the second year, ten and four the third year. That is probably a little unreasonable, but something like two and two and ten, or were they one and eleven last year? Something like one and eleven, four and eight, seven and five. Uh, I think try, that, try that out for size. What if you stretch? Yeah, so stretch stretch that three year trajectory into five. Yeah, it's a long time to wait. I get it, but I mean, bottom line is, it's but again, you can't if you're a Baylor fan right now. Like you can't, like just yeah, you you can't ask for much right now. Let's just see how this goes. I guess. Um, Texas State, moral of the story, you may have to go local. You, you really may have to lean into local. Yeah, well, and, and, you need and you, something. Like, you need a, a Texas guy or a system guy or a blah, 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 blah. I don't know. Like, I always – the more I, g- I talk about coaching hires, the more I realize, like, just just, just hire a good coach um, who is a good fit. And, not, and, and that second part, of, I guess, is the hard part because you don't necessarily know in advance. Um, but, yeah, just fi- find, find – find a good coach if, if withers doesn't work out and i don't know we'll see that's that's a hopeless answer right there yeah kind of all right bill uh before we get out of here you want to do some questions uh we should we have a lot we got uh, uh we got a couple paid questions real fast actually i just want to point out how nice people are um again thanks to brian by the way for purchasing that segment i hope we i hope we did our due diligence there um we'll continue to watch texas state because i do think that's a job if they turn it over in the 18 19 cycle you will see, I, I just call it a hunch, a very Texas-centric person taking it and trying to find a thing in a cool, fun G5 way, the way cool, fun G5 things happen, of rebranding that bad boy. It's just, um, call it a hunch. Uh, John Fitter. John Fitter says, hey, no question necessary. Thanks for doing this, Go Irish. And then he sent his receipt. So thank <laughs> you. That's awesome. Um, he, the first question we have no chance of getting wrong. By the way, he gave a hundred dollars to Good. say that. He gave a hundred dollars to say that. Is there anything we want to say positive about the Irish right now? I know I specifically on the recap show said <laughs> of all the undefeated would-be na- uh, playoff contenders, um, they're the shakiest. 
give me a hundred bucks. If you give me a hundred bucks for charity for some kids fight against leukemia, I will find something positive to say about Notre Dame. Bill, say something positive about Notre Dame. (laughs) Just look at their defense. Their defense is very good. Their defense is really good. Like that's their fifth in defensive S and P plus right now. Um, That is clearly dry. Since they can't score more than twenty four points in a game, they probably need to uh, allow seventeen or fewer each game. And so far, they've allowed seventeen, sixteen, and seventeen. So I mean, by the way, that is crazy. They played almost the exact same game three weeks in a row: twenty four seventeen, twenty four sixteen, twenty two seventeen. That's um, silly, is what that is. It's very dangerous, but you know. And they're still favored in every single game the rest of the year. Uh, obviously that USC game is not looking as dicey as it once did. Virginia tech maybe is looking a, a hair more, but like they are at least a 64% win probability in every, every remaining game. That probably means they only finished 10 and two or so. Um, but they are, I mean, they're going to have a good year. Shout out to Clark Lee. He came up under, he was a position coach under Elko before. Oh, Elko that's right. Went to yeah. So, I mean, Hey, if it, if it's winning ball games, it's winning ball games. Um, Man, that was really nice. I, I, again, we always make those jokes about Notre Dame and Michigan, but those fan bases, man. You ask <laughs> write, for money for they charity, they are there, dude. It is so impressive. Um, okay, now, the rest of you cheap asses. Um, let's see. Why did UCLA take over my mentions this week? Good Lord. I don't even oh, know really? what to say about it. I mean, it's just, I don't know what to say. Um, <laughs> A.N. Gregory asks, uh, seven and five Purdue versus twelve and zero Penn State in the Big Twelve Championship game. How unlikely is this? The West is trash. That's not a question. It's not a question. And um, <clears throat> good luck going seven and five Purdue. Uh, wow. Yeah. That means you, that means you kind of got to go seven and two now. And um, last I checked, you still play Ohio State. You still play with Michigan. You still play again. By the way, Wisconsin is not suddenly trash. They, they lost a game they shouldn't have lost. Everybody loses games they shouldn't lose. Um, Wisconsin is still a top 15 or 20 caliber team. Iowa still has the best defense in the country, maybe. Uh, these are not – the West is not nearly as – the West is probably not going to – well, is obviously not going to produce a national title contender now unless Iowa find, figures out how to move the football a little better. But they let, – let's not, let's not suddenly – and I, I'm just peeing on everybody's parade this week. But mm-hmm. Like, let's not let's not pretend the West is worse than it is. It's not great, but Wisconsin is still very good. Iowa is still good on one side of the ball. Minnesota is it appears to be improving. Uh, Purdue, you gotta. I, I know you like. I know you're you're rooting for the best zero three team in the country, a team that probably a team that I I ran the odds the other day. Like based on post game win expectancy, they uh, for the first three games they have basically a twenty two percent chance of going three and zero and a four percent chance of going zero and three. They went zero and three, so they're clearly better than that. They're almost a top fifty team. They'll be lucky to get to about five and seven. Very lucky to get to five and seven actually. Now that I'm looking at their schedule. Okay, so this is a question from Justin Moore. Um, it was written, I think, <laughs> on Saturday, but he says, Hey, Bill and Steven, uh, if Houston beats Texas Tech, they did not. Uh, do we start seriously talking about Cliff for Bama OC with Tua as his quarterback for 2019-2020? Um, the reason I bring this up, um, obviously, Texas Tech did not lose that game. But Texas Tech, I think, could still struggle in conference play. Sure. Um, and there's a, a feeling of like, well, tolerate this malaise for – you know, again, ceiling, floor, expectation. Texas Tech doesn't really seem to have a consensus on that right now. <laughs> the thing I've always heard about Cliff is that if he were fired, he would go 
to any number of quarterback coaching or uh, some sort of offensive assistant jobs um, in the league first, and then maybe a top program second. I don't know if he would OC for Nick. Well, that's um, sort of like going to that, that's your step up towards the league. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I don't mean that to, to downplay the Alabama's part of it. I mean, you, the Alabama and the Patriots swap coaches for God's sake. So um, yeah, not entirely impossible, but I do think that um, I don't know if, if Nick wants that air raid necessarily. Um, and I don't know if Tua necessarily is the guy that is best fit for that because I think, Oh man, I'm pissing people off by saying this on its own. That tech offense probably doesn't fit to a, as well as a, a couple other concepts would. Yeah, I mean, sure. I'm, um, I'm not complaining about the air raid. I'm not getting into a referendum that the Southeastern Conference or any of that. No, no. I'm just saying um, I think that – I just think Cliff would go. Um, because Cliff doesn't – here's the deal. Cliff doesn't strike me as someone who would get fired and then really like stew and die over it the way a lot of these assistants Right, coach, like, all right, what's next? Coaches. He's very young, and yeah. he, he will probably shrug his shoulders and just say, all right, well, I'll, I'm going to go take a lower-profile job for a couple of years, whereas that, that whole saving coordinator thing has become like the wayward home, you know, the holding pattern deal. We're, everybody thinks right now that if Mike Loxley leaves for a job like Maryland, then, then Butch Jones, who's an analyst right now, would OC for Nick Ugh. for a year and then jump on. So I just don't – I don't know. I, I feel well, like – I feel like Cliff has other options that are probably less stressful. Well, I think um, the part that intrigues me about the Bama connection is like I, he wouldn't – it wouldn't be like, hey, Cliff, come run your air raid. Uh, it would basically be like let's fit your concepts into a slightly different box. That's uh, true. And so from that perspective, I as, – as terrifying as it would be if you're not an Alabama fan – um, I would be fascinated by like what changes and everything else. And I think we kind of see a blueprint right now. Like right now, um, Alabama is only throw only running the ball 51% of the time on standard downs. Uh, that's the, the, the national average is always around 60%. They're a hundredth in that. They're not, they're, they are a pass first team right now. Uh, and, and, and before I go too far, I, I'm not like, the, I'm not saying, you know, any passing game is any passing game. There are obviously a lot of differences. Um, but, it, you know, right now they're, they're, they're a pass first, but they don't operate with a lot of tempo. They still figure out how to create gang tackle situations instead of solo tackles like a, like a Texas Tech normally does. And so I think it would be really interesting to see, like, which of the concepts he adds, which ones he kind of accedes to, you know, using instead, uh, and how he structures an Alabama offense. Because, I mean, if we're talking about him going to the league – then he's going to, you know, uh, by definition, an NFL offense is a pro-style offense. Like, it'd, be, it'd just be interesting to see what he adds and drops from his from his repertoire in a job like that. And I would, um, just because I enjoy watching greatness sometimes, I would I would very much enjoy him coaching to a Tagovailoa. Uh, last one, Bill. You ready? Yeah, Softball. I got one too, but go for it. It's probably the same one because um, it was hashtag. It was only sent to you. Uh, uh, Jared Colville says, looking at this week's schedule and uh, noticed an Ivy League game on ESPNU Friday night. <laughs> is Brown Harvard a good use of my Friday evening, Bill? Well, hell yes, it is. Of course it is. Um, Brown is not great. Um, they are trying to go up-tempo. They're trying to bring life back to the offense. They don't necessarily have the talent to do it yet. Uh, Harvard is quite possibly a very, very, very good FCS football program, and so watch it for them. Hell yeah. Um, 
I mean, Dar- the, the, the league mostly lived up to – I was worried that I was going to jinx the crap out of it. I wrote a feature about how, how good and fun the Ivy League now is, and then they go out and bomb. Well, Brown, Brown bombed on Friday night. They were pretty close for a half against UC Davis and then got destroyed. Uh, Yale blew a lead to get to Holy Cross. That one ticked me off. But Harvard looked good. Dartmouth looked good. Uh, still some good programs there. Um, but yes, yeah, so take it home Friday night. Yeah. Watch some damn Ivy league football. It'll be worth your time. Even though there'll be like 38 fans in the stands. Uh, I wanted to hop over to Reddit real quick. Um, so first of all, uh, remix nine fifty one asks, Hey Bill, why do you hate uh, LSU? You know why? Mm. Um, let's see. Uh, which one was I about to crap? Where'd it go? Um, I was going to short Reddit this episode and use them, use them on Thursday. But, well, I mean, right. I, well, we might have to now. Uh, well, okay, I'll do this one just because I have been getting – I did get the stat profiles up. Uh, they're mostly good now. Uh, a couple of little wonky Google issues that I'm going to have to fix. Like it, the, like it looked one way when I hit publish and then suddenly looked a different way. But there is um, Fear the Wheat. Resident BizWiz asks, I'm really liking marginal efficiency and explosiveness. Question to me would be – Oh, would be uh, is, is top end and low end of that stat one to minus one? Is that the range for marginal explosiveness or marginal efficiency? I'm trying to understand how to interpret the numbers in the stat profiles. Uh, in future weeks, I'm going to try to add like percentile ratings so you kind of know what's good and bad. But the the the, the, the it's not going to be one and minus one. But that's I think basically going to be the most it could be for efficiency anyway, because you're basically taking expected efficiency based on down distance and field position. And you're subtracting that for, or you're subtracting your success rate from that. Um, so if the expected efficiency is 30% because it's third and long or whatever, um, and you are successful, that means that play was plus 70%. Uh, so on average, you're going to end up like anything good is going to be in like the plus 10 to plus 20% range. Uh, you put, you could find some outliers higher than that, but just generally speaking, it's going to be around that. I will try to add some more context because I'm really trying to lean into those concepts a little bit. They make a lot of sense to me and I like them, uh, but I'm going to try to help people out in that regard. Yeah. What he said, I totally understand. What are your everything. thoughts on marginal yeah. efficiency? Um, ask Bill. Oh. Ask Bill. One of these days, one of these days, we're going to have to do a show where we just, we go, like, I don't know if they're going to be parceled out individual 30-minute episodes. We'll have to figure out the formatting where we just create the base level explainer for your advanced stats. <laughs> and people, because what's happened is you just answered a question where I think 25 to 40% of the people listening have a handle on it. And the other people are like, wait, what? And then they yep. come back and ask you, we need you to just do like the the five to ten concepts that you use the most and then do a i mean i mean honestly like it's a one of those like do it from home computer college courses or something you're gonna have to <laughs> i'm tired of because if people ask me and i'm like what what i have no idea it is fun like even coworkers now like if, if they don't know where i'm at or what i'm doing they'll ask you and vice versa because we're married yeah which is a terrible thing for me to try and like the whole remember it was it was supposed to be an odd couple dynamic on the show and people are asking me about numbers it's terrible i don't even like i i, I hate having a checking account and people are just, like what do you think bill's explosiveness i don't know i don't know i make the phone calls he's yelling in a hotel room now i got to go i got to go do journalism